podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Today, we are going to talk about coronavirus, what's going to end up being an absolutely enormous impact on the business lives of of everyone and the lives just in general. I don't think we need to be another string on the like long line of bad news. In fact, some of the things we're going to talk about today, I hope, can can be motivating. And we're going to talk about a broad range of things first. Ian, at the top of it, how have you been responding personally to to the news of the coronavirus? Let's just give listeners a little bit of a, a, a picture into where we are and what's going on. You and I, last Friday, we decided to take off for West Texas, Marfa, Big Bend. And we were in, in Marfa together, and then we decided we were going to go down to Big Bend to see some of the sites. And you decided you were going to stay in Marfa. So I am currently podcasting from my truck looking over the Chisos Mountains. It's absolutely beautiful. And you are in a, in a basically a vacant RV campsite in Marfa. And we yeah. are connected by the powers of the internet, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm living out of my minivan. This is where like the movies, many famous movies have been set. Notably, There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men. So if you've seen those movies, you know, we planned this whole trip before the news of you know, sort of the shutting down of America in many ways. I don't know whether our reaction now like looks appropriate or a little bit dramatic, you know? <laughs> yeah, we're literally on the edge of the earth down there, or the Just, edge of the United States. Look, Ian, we got a lot to cover today. First, I want to start off with uh, just some personal reflections. Then we're going to talk about the historical context for all this in terms of business. Then we're going to talk about some smart ways to react. However you want to look at it, we're all going to need to make some difficult decisions in the coming weeks and months, and, and we're going to talk about what those might look like. we got some Q&A, and then we're going to talk about some resources if you want to binge business and coronavirus, as we have been doing. We'll share some of our best resources at the end. First off, caveats. Me and you were dark humor guys. We're glass half full guys. And the second thing is, look, we're USA centric. We are locked down inside the USA. We cannot leave right now. Sometimes the way we speak about things drifts a little bit that direction. It might do so in this episode. Finally, email us, reach out to us. By the way, do you feel comfortable with me calling it coronavirus? I think that's fine. I think I'm saying COVID-19. Your reactions to our thoughts here today, you know, we're looking to flesh out our understanding. We're talking with smart people and experts on a day-to-day basis to try to figure out what the impact is going to be downstream for business owners in this climate. Our emails are Dan and Ian, respectively, at tropicalmba.com. And you can head to tropicalmba.com slash voicemail and uh, drop us a voice message as well. And specifically, what's going on in your business? How is it impacted by COVID-19? And what are the steps that you're taking to protect your asset your family's wealth and well-being. 
Absolutely. Let's just open with this, Ian. To put this in context, you know, me and you are both almost 40 years old. We have never been alive for something this dramatic in terms of its impact on the business community. You know, I remember walking around like sometime last week and I was just like looking at all the actual news and people not going to restaurants, people being quarantined, people not getting on airplanes or going to hotels, all this kind of stuff. No one was really talking about the economy last week. And I feel like that's going to be the story here that's going to start to unfold. You know, what is this virus? What should we all do? The second thing is sort of the investment talk rolls around. Well, like markets this and interest rates this. And this is stuff that as entrepreneurs is super interesting. And we'll talk about it a bit. Meanwhile, I'm looking at all this rubber meets the road stuff. I'm seeing a lot of people, you know, if you have a sort of an aspirational marketing service, it's possible. And I've heard from people, half your clients gone tomorrow. Boom. That's real. People not going to your restaurant anymore. Boom. That's real. And we've just never quite seen it. And it's going to be sustained. So I, I predict that the story that's going to unfold here is the economy. And just because we're focused right now on health stuff, things like national security, national health, doesn't mean that maybe the biggest story of all of this is going to be the dramatic, dramatic economic impact that all these measures and, and this virus are taking on us. So I guess my opening statement, Ian, is, is winter is coming and best to prepare for it. And that's not all bad news. There's lots of, uh, for them to stick with the metaphor, there's, there's lots of ways to thrive and enjoy the winter. And just because the economy isn't doing well or investors aren't doing well or Main Street isn't doing well, doesn't mean that you don't have to be doing well. And that's always sort of been a theme of this pod. And hopefully, you know, the circumstances now can help us to, to set ourselves apart and identify business models and strategies that work even when things aren't all on the up and up. Dan, I saw something, uh, it's like, I think it was a, United Airlines was already asking for a bailout potentially in this situation. Yeah. And I just thought, you know what? Who likes United Airlines? Who actually likes flying <laughs> United? Like, again, this is a perfect opportunity to just get rid of those MFers, you know? It's like, well, the same thing actually happened when the automakers asked for a bailout. GM got it. And then they stopped making a lot of cars that they shouldn't have been making in the first place. You know, they had a bunch of different platforms that were totally unnecessary. Got the bailout, they scaled back, and they started acting more responsibly. Changes were made. This is part of a bigger picture, though, for me, Dan, which is corporations acting irresponsibly. And then, to your point, when the shit hits the fan and when the rubber needs to meet the road, asking for taxpayer uh, bailout money. And so the question is, for me, is are we running our businesses responsibly? Do we have cash reserves? Are we operating as if something like this might happen? And I think the answer for us, Dan, is generally speaking, yes. Generally speaking, a lot of people listening to this podcast and members of the DC community have for years been running their business responsibly. They've been keeping cash reserve. They've been doing all the right things to be able to weather winter, as you said, which is coming. But these corporations have not. And it's frustrating to me that taxpayer money is going to be used to bail out these corporations that probably shouldn't exist. And because they have operated in a reckless manner, 
some personal anecdotes, Ian. I'd like to buzz the audience back to last Monday. And last Monday, me and you, we were all over COVID-19 personally with DC members, with our team. We weren't talking publicly too much about it, specifically because me and you had a ton of skin in the game. We had this responsibility, this opportunity, this commitment to bring 150 podcast listeners together in Austin, Texas. And two weeks ago, we kind of thought morally the right thing to do was to let each individual make their own decision. Like, you know, kind of based on the information, even though we knew what had happened in China, we knew, you know, what had happened in South Korea. We looked at all the information we had and we thought, you know, it still feels like the right thing to do is to put this on each individual. We kind of started to change our tunes the next week, that, that Monday I'm telling you about. And I remember being on the phone with you on Monday evening saying, you know, we got a plan for this cancellation. In my mind, there was a lot more lead up. Maybe this is just me personally. Maybe you weren't thinking on this wavelength necessarily because you just got to Texas, right? But we were talking about this kind of via Skype and email and things like that. But in my mind, I'm reading about this virus in China for months, basically, and watching them in China basically set up a hospital in 10 days and trying to contain this thing and and looking at the exponential curve of cases, right? And, and ha- having a hard time deciphering, you know, between information, what's real, what's not. But as far as a month ago, Dan, I honestly, personally started stockpiling food. I started figuring out what my plan was going to be. I started being thankful that I have a well at my house that relies on power that I can supply through my generator. You know, kind of like all these like doomsday things started crossing through my mind. And then on top of that, what you're saying is true, which is we basically run an in-person event company that has an online forum. And so we had to figure out what is the responsible and what is the right thing to do in terms of bringing all these people together. And so, you know, here we are basically a month and a half out from our event in Austin. And we're sitting here thinking like, are we going to let this happen? And then is the government going to let this happen? And is this the right and responsible thing to do? And if you want to go even back further, we're coming from a different perspective because I was living in a country where there were active cases down the street from me, you know, and it wasn't spiraling out of control in the media the way things were just a few weeks ago here in America. And so, you know, on the one hand, you look at the numbers in China and you understand math. And on the other hand, you're just one country away over in Thailand. And at that time, things were contained. Fast forward, I show up in America thinking, you know, it's possible that cases can be in your country and it doesn't immediately get overrun. And we just don't know what's going to happen in America. It's undetermined. In terms of like how we're thinking, like I said, as little as two weeks ago, we still were sort of thought we don't need to get in front of this thing necessarily. That all changed last Tuesday for me and you personally. There wasn't one thing. I mean, we're spending a great deal of time talking about this. Hours a day trying to understand how this thing is multiplying, trying to understand the resources that this country might have. Honestly, the way we made a decision was like with a moral sensibility. There wasn't like one news article or whatever that was like, this is definitely how many cases there are going to be in Austin or whatever. It was a feeling that we had that Specifically, I mean, and we've drafted a big, long document to everybody who was coming to the conference about what our rationale was. But one of the key points for me was, you know, we didn't want to compel anybody to do anything 
you know, that might endanger anybody else, themselves or otherwise. It almost feels like ancient history to go through this reasoning at this point, because... (laughs) I wouldn't say it sounds like ancient history, because, you know, Dan, it's just not, it's not too late for other people to make these same kinds of decisions. And I want to, a little bit more context, okay? We had about 150 people coming to Austin, okay? We had a commitment with the hotel and vendors and suppliers for nearly six figures. We canceled this event without knowing whether or not we would be responsible for that payment. That was a, a moral decision that we made on behalf of our community and the greater good of the people in Austin. Because I felt with you that it was irresponsible to bring that many people in from around the world with the threat that we were reading about for the past couple of weeks. You have to reach into your gut and you have to try and do what you believe is right. And what we believed was right was canceling this event, no matter the financial repercussions. And I'll just say this one last thing about that event. We were also very scared to hear what our members were going to say because a lot of people were counting on coming to Austin. I mean, the reason we put on these events is because people get massive value from them. You know, it changes their lives and their businesses. And so when you can't attend an event like that, for us and for our members, it's it's devastating. And so I was honestly scared to hear what people were going to say, Dan. And I just wanted to say thanks to the community because I think a lot of people were relieved that we made that decision to cancel that event. And hopefully we're going to meet virtually. This is an argument for, you know, making tough decisions, doing the right thing. And we'll talk more about that in a bit. But I just want to tell the story. Like, like you said, we were concerned a lot of people were going to be disappointed. And we wanted to flesh out our arguments for not having this event. We're going over this copy and there's a lot of copy and stuff. And, you know, it's a big deal. People have plane tickets and hotel reservations and everything. And I posted in the forum, me and you were on the phone like Wednesday at 3 p.m. And I'm like, dude, one last look at the copy, boss man. We're going to start processing these refunds and we got to reach out to all these different people, the sponsors. I mean, there's so many people involved in this kind of thing. And I mean, for me and you, this felt like a real tough decision. We post this thing and we're like, look, this is the right thing to do. It's going to disappoint some people, but it's the right thing. And I jump into an Uber because I got to meet a friend across town. And it takes me like a half an hour to get there. And when I meet him, we have a few drinks and we're catching up. And there's like a lull in the conversation and he pulls up his phone and he's like, the NBA just canceled the season and Tom Hanks contracted COVID-19. And I mean, essentially this is the biggest news day of my lifetime besides nine 11. And it just felt like that was the day that everything changed for America. Interesting for our event. Like had we waited just one more evening to like work on that copy or whatever, it would have been like the easiest decision. I think at least from our perspective, but when we published it, it felt like a hard decision, you know, but the right one. It's just remarkable how fast things are changing, you know, for all of us at the same time. So that's one thing I wanted to share. The second thing I got to share, and this boss man is, I hope, going to add some levity to this podcast and will become a long-term theme, is that I'm living in my van down by the river. That's right. I, I'm living in a minivan. And <laughs> talking about 
contingency plans and having vehicles, not because you think they're cool, but because they're useful. It was awesome to be able to jump on the highway behind your amazing RV and just, you know, have my little bedroom on wheels. I got it all set up with an office and I'm good to go, man. The part that I'm really looking forward to is uh, you taking credit somehow for like converting into van life. But the listener, the listener is smarter than that. The listener heard on the podcast that I did with uh, my buddy Corey about buying and selling RVs that the primary reason I was putting that podcast out was to convert you. Yeah. The listener will know that years ago I started <laughs> trying to convert you into van life. But I'm really looking forward to you taking credit for changing your life. That's going to be exciting for me to hear. Here's what's going to happen. We're not going to arbitrate this during this time of immense weight and gravity in human history, okay, in our lives. <laughs> but we're going to have this fight out. We are going to have this fight out, sir. Good, sir. Well, I look forward to I look forward to checking out your new van because my prediction is that you're not going to last long in the Honda Odyssey <laughs> now that you see the other side. For those of you for a little context, you know, Ian's been into the RV life, We've done a bunch of episodes about it, and uh, I've been a, a proud two-time minivan owner, and this is the first time I've actually lived out of it. And it wasn't it's not some kind of uh, you know, coronavirus stunt. It was simply a vacation that we had planned and wanted to go to campsites. And, you know, you toss a tent in the back of your minivan, you put a cot in it, and you can hang out at these campsites. Real, It's fun, you know. But it's been cool to, like, work, you know, totally remote. It's just me and a water pump and a power supply. It's an interesting uh, feeling, I'll tell you, about, especially at this time. One other personal anecdote I want to share, Ian. Something else that's, speaking of surreal, it's been surreal to be a part of the DC community and and this broader community of, you know, location independent future livers. Let's just put it that way. I've been watching very smart people, you know, whether it's reporting live on the ground because they they run some kind of sourcing operation or e-commerce operation from business, whether it be because they read scientific literature and they read the best thinkers and it's been so interesting to be weeks, if not months, ahead of NewYorkTimes.com, CNN.com. We're not just entrepreneurs, but we're, we're also people that you know, make a habit of living in the future, of predicting on it, of taking risk, of being obsessed with things that are quite literally viral, things that work at scales that are difficult to intuit. I mean, if you compare what we're looking at in the DC, our Twitter list versus CNN.com, I mean, we're talking, it's not days disconnect. We're talking weeks. And maybe in some ways it, it can give you a little bit of confidence that like, hey, this crew that I'm rolling with, they do see things that could be the future. And of course they're wrong a lot of times, but also I got to make some bets on some of this stuff if I'm going to have a successful business one day and certainly one that weathers storms because one of the things I'm noticing and, I, and we're going to get to this in the tough question section, Ian, is there's a lot of ways to make money and a lot of those ways to make money sometimes look like businesses. And especially when things are going really well in the economy, you can kind of do things right and make money. But that doesn't mean that you have a robust business necessarily. A lot of times businesses can benefit from frothy conditions or rather personal incomes can, can benefit from frothy conditions. 
I mean, we certainly saw that in the last downturn. Me and you were both parts of two specific businesses and one which, you know, made a lot more money on paper and on, on the surface, but that we knew had termites, so to speak. We knew it wasn't a real strong, smart business with great fundamentals. Exactly. We knew it didn't have good fundamentals, which is what we're noticing right now. You know, again, United asking for a bailout two days into this. Maybe you don't have good fundamentals. (laughs) (laughs) If you're anxious about your business finances, a lot of us are. If you don't have confidence in your numbers and you're not sure if you're headed in the right direction, if things are going up or down, well, today's sponsor has an offer for you. Bean Ninjas is an online bookkeeping and financial education company that's been helping entrepreneurs achieve freedom through stress-free finances for almost five years. They were recently awarded Zero Bookkeeping Partner of the Year in 2019. Founder and CEO Merrill Johnson is a member of our community, the DC, and has been on this podcast several times. The Bean Ninjas are legit. They really understand the issues unique to running online businesses like we talk about here at the TMBA. Now, Bean Ninjas is offering to train you on how to effectively use Zero to manage your finances with their How to Do Your Bookkeeping in Zero online course. This course is basically a five-week mentorship where you can work closely with a financial coach and a small group of like-minded entrepreneurs. There's also a DIY option available. So here's their offer. Head on over to BeanNinjas.com slash TMBA to sign up and get 25% off the coupon code provided. This five-week mentorship program is usually $3.99, but today, by using that special link from the TMBA, it's available for $2.99. If you're someone who gets overwhelmed with not knowing what's going on money-wise with your business, be sure to head on over to BeanNinjas.com slash TMBA. I want to leave the audience with some questions to ask, some considerations to make this week. We're going to be diving into a lot more details and and analysis of this event and how it's going to affect our businesses in coming weeks. But let's just get some preliminary sort of thought experiments or questions out there. You know, one of the things I wrote down is investors hate uncertainty. And that's like sort of the message I'm reading, you know, out there in the news media. And certainly so does the average small business owner. But what about entrepreneurs? And of course, there's overlap here. You can be all three. But certainly, there's got to be an entrepreneurial part of all of us. That has to be some of the few people in society saying, how can we help here? You know, How can we not just try to hold on tight and not fall off the rope? How can we as scrappy, resourceful individuals create value? in this time where maybe there's not a lot of investment capital or maybe there's not a lot of excess spending or whatever, that doesn't mean that you can't be extremely valuable and helpful. And that's what entrepreneurship is about. Maybe you don't get paid for it for the next few months or years. We can't just seize up as investors and owners and friends and and family members. We can't just seize up. There's got to be part of us, part of the day that we reserve to look at this with fresh eyes and say, this is a chance to change the way we do business, a chance to change the way we deliver value. This is also a chance, I think, Dan, to, to be generous, you know, to be thoughtful, to be helpful to people, you know. 
it's like, well, you know, if you have a tenant maybe in one of your buildings, if you're a landlord, if you have somebody that's on the edge over the next couple of weeks or months, it's like maybe you can forgive them for something that they owe you. Maybe you can just let it go. You know, maybe if you're okay, you're able to help them be okay for a little bit longer. You know, if that's what it takes, if they've acted responsible on your mind and they're worth giving that to, you know, maybe that's something that you should think about. I'm all about that. But here's one way that I think it, it it's, let's not say entrepreneurs, let's say when business owners think about being generous in these times, there's often this martyrship. I'm going to keep payroll going, all this kind of stuff. You know, I'm all good with that. If you can sustain it, if it's generous, if you have strong reason to believe that that revenue is coming back. But the reality is, here's two hard questions to ask. Are you ultimately propping up, you know, unproductive or inefficient staff to get through the downturn if you take this kind of like martyrship mindset? And the reality is, is like these contexts change that level of productivity quite a bit because in a real good economy, when like everyone's winning just by doing the right things and businesses are throwing around money to like, oh, that seems like an interesting marketing plan, go ahead and do it. And you're getting clients left and right and stuff. The gearing, the level of productivity and return on investment that each employee needs to have can be pretty low. You can start plugging people in and they make one-to-one, you know, it costs you $5,000 a month to employ them or cost you whatever your cost is. They bring in 10, you're good. Well, now all of a sudden that's not good enough. And so the idea that you're going to risk your business to keep these people on board, I think is not a great instinct right now. So this is an opportunity to take a look at that ROI per head count. Are they able to downshift in, in this current environment, catch a better gear and show some power and really get ROI? I mean, this is the time to, to hang on to indispensable people. And, and a similar thought experiment worth asking is, is your business a business or was it simply an income generator in a time of froth? And you could say like, well, how do you really know the difference between the two? And the hard question worth asking is, can your business really weather a downturn? And, and that's really about margins and efficiency. And it's about a lot of things, but what I don't want listeners to do is sort of dump their potential into trying to hold on to a business that was really built for the upswing that we experienced the last 11 years, rather than taking this as an opportunity to take everything you've learned, take maybe the staff that you've trained, the resources that you have on hand, and pivot totally towards something that can work in, in this new environment. Correct. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's going to be a lot of questions in our businesses, Dan. And, and one is, hmm, my business isn't doing so well. Second question, has it only ever seen a good market? And I think for a lot of us, the answer is yes. It's like, yeah, started this business after the economy tanked in 2008. It's only gone up. Now let's see if it can weather when the economy goes down. In a lot of ways, I think this is going to be a different environment, Dan. And a lot of us have no idea how to weather it. It's not like a war. It doesn't seem like a war to me. It seems like a very different apparatus. And like you said, investors hate uncertainty. There's going to be tons of uncertainty over the next couple of months in terms of ways that we live our lives, the way that our businesses function. 
the way that capital is available, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like these are all kind of open questions now. No one's ever seen this happen before in our current economic environment. So there's probably more questions than there are answers at this point. But I think if you do have a business with decent fundamentals and you are able to hang on for a couple of months, hopefully you're going to be able to get through it. But who knows at this point? Well, the real question to ask is, what if it was year, a year or more of downturn, which isn't unthinkable at all. I mean, what if it's years? This idea that you're going to like sort of chuck your business's bailouts or bridge loans, I think for most of our businesses is, is a bad idea. I think the idea, the opportunity here is to take a, a existential look at your business and ask yourself, like, are the fundamentals good? Which means like when things are lean, are we still a lean, mean profit machine? And if your business depends on things being great and people getting paid what they think they're worth and all this kind of stuff, well, then I think now is a chance to take a look at the fundamentals and sort of rebuild the business from the core up in a way that can be depended on to be profitable through these things. And then sure, you can build back on the frothy apparatus if that is indeed profitable when things recover. But what could happen is if this downturn in your industry or in this total market or whatever exists for half a year, a year or more, you're going to end up bailing out your business with your personal money and you face an existential risk of your own personal financial ruin. And that's not something you want to risk for a big uncertainty, which is can your business survive in a downturn? And this is something I really want to bring up from my experience with our past downturn. So me and you lived through 2008, and maybe we can go through that in more detail. But the reality is, me and you don't have this podcast if it wasn't for that downturn, in part because we were able to buy shares back from our investor because he needed cash. And it was the downturn that made his business that lacked fundamentals. He wanted to give it a bridge loan. And part of that loan came from us buying shares out from him. Now, had his, everything been going gravy, we might have all clung on to that asset as our opportunity and him being in the power position might have pushed us out. These things can be enormous opportunities. We were able to weather that downturn because we had great fundamentals. Now, there's another thing that's even more important. There's a little concept I'd like to introduce, Ian, to the TMBA pod that we haven't talked about very much, and, and we're going to need to come up with a catchy phrase. But I'm going to start calling it Kadab. A Kadab is the cost of doing business. This is a phrase that we say when we rationalize purchases or make ourselves feel good about the amount of money that we paid for something. So you do a real estate transaction and you got to pay your lawyer, you know, two grand to take a look at the uh, documents. And well, you got some margin on top of that. And so you say to yourself, well, that's just the cost of doing business. You know, you decide to sign a lease on a, on a new warehouse that, you know, you think you're going to fill up, but you're not really sure. And you say, well, that's just the cost of doing business. And, you know, you want to have an SEO program and some hotshot young person walks through the door and says, I'll do all this for you. Everything, you know, that you said you want, I'll, I promise it to you, but I'm going to cost you $5,000 a month. And you say to yourself, well, that's just the cost of doing business. And now is the moment where all of that gets examined. We got to look at every single cost. Is that actually the cost of doing business or 
Was I just willing to pay it because the margins, the froth was there? And in fact, maybe in that time and space, that was the cost of doing business. And so now all of your infrastructure costs, all of your operational costs, and all of your overhead costs have now adjusted to that cost of doing business. Well, now all that's changed. I'm thinking about my uh, food supply, all right? When you think about your food supply, depending on the ways that you look at it, I've got between a, a three and six month food supply. I've got six months if I'm eating for the weight that I'm going to be in six months. I've got three months if I'm eating for the weight that I am right now. Yes. All right. So everybody needs to think about the weight that they're going to be six months from now and start eating like it. By the way, this is an amazing opportunity to lose a couple LBs right now. I mean, you can't go out to good restaurants and bars. <laughs> you lose a couple LBs. We all come out looking skinny and pretty out of this thing. A little hardship, you know, can be good for a business, can be good for the physique. I like the metaphor. The idea is that so many of the things we spend on our business in an upturn, the things that are supposedly going to improve. Small example, we make transcripts every week for this podcast. They're really nice to have. You know, it's nice to have a transcript. But is that a need to have? Does it give us ROI? I mean, that's a question we got asked this week. We want to keep eating. You know, we want to stay at the dinner table. I want to read an email from listener Tim Dear Dan and Ian, longtime listener of the fan and of the TMBA who currently works in education in China, I wanted to share an observation from somewhere that is a few months ahead in terms of the current coronavirus pandemic. In China at the moment, the coronavirus is a black swan event that is forcing lots of people to teach from home. An unexpected consequence of this is that schools, teachers, and students will realize remote work is possible and has a lot of benefits. This is just as true of businesses, employees, and customers. I think a very similar thing could end up happening in Europe and North America if, God forbid, the virus takes hold there in the same way. Take care, guys, and thank you for all the back episodes I can work through while I'm stuck at home in Beijing. First off, Tim, shout out. I uh, hope you're safe. What was your initial thought upon reading uh, Tim's email, Ian? First, thanks, Tim, for writing in. Uh, first response was, yeah, we figured out remote work is possible and productive 10 years ago. And then a couple of years ago, we started DynamiteJobs.co to promote it to other businesses and other people that want to do it. So one of these things, Dan, I think through necessity, we're going to find that a lot of things aren't necessary. It's not necessarily uh, a good thing that you go to the office every day. In, in fact, it might not even be possible in the future. So, you know, online learning sounds great. You know, don't have the infrastructure of all these buildings. You can still be uh, be educated through the Internet, through Skype or any, any kind of online learning platform. Things have been moving in this direction, remote work, online learning, things like that. But it hasn't really come to like some kind of tipping point, right? So like these incremental changes every year. But an event like this, it almost has the ability, I think, to push things over the edge. Yeah. And for me, the word that I really hinged on, Ian, was that word realize. You know, on the one hand, there is this realization that I think people have had for a long time that they'd prefer to work from home, for example, but that it's not really a possibility because their employer doesn't allow that. Their school doesn't allow that, that these things still happen in person. And it's a structural realization. 
And this brings me back to my Kadeb point, which is the cost of doing business. You know, a university pre two weeks ago, a mid-tier American university is not incentivized to get rid of the gymnasium and get rid of the school mascot and get rid of the quad and all the tenured professors and the fact that they can charge $40,000 a year for all that. I mean, that's just the cost of doing business, boss man. And the banks are going to look at all that and say, well, there is a quad and a mascot, so we're going to loan this kid $100,000. And Sure, all these people know people that work remote, and they know it's a possibility, but this this idea of a realization is a bigger thing than that. It's about necessity. And, you know, the necessity up until two weeks ago was to charge people as much as we can for this education because it's costing us a lot to deliver. And that's a situation that so many of us are in with our business. And now everything's changed, and we really have to ask ourselves, well, what are we delivering? And what do people need and what do they value now? And what can they pay? Do you think, Ian, that it's possible for someone to deliver a $100,000 education for a couple thousand dollars? I do. Yeah. Maybe not the exact same experience, but that's a real possibility. And that's the challenge that lays in front of all of us and all of our business is in niches. So for me, this is part of what we're going to be doing in the coming weeks, Ian is sitting down and as part of what we're all going to be doing as a community is asking ourselves, what's the best version of our business here? Because we got to be lean and mean and we got to survive. I wanted to leave the, the audience with some other resources that they can check out if they're curious about coronavirus and business. Our good friend, Taylor Pearson, he's one of the best follows on Twitter about this outbreak. Uh, we're going to be having him on the show in the coming weeks. His Amazon order history, Ian, suggests that he was one of the first people on the continent that really understood the severity of what we're going to, we're going to be facing. So do follow him on uh, Twitter. The BBC has a wonderful coronavirus podcast that is daily that you can subscribe to. Listen to TMBA guest and favorite Nick Huber live blog. What at least initially looked like the demise of his business. And now he's trying to save it and he's blogging it over or podcasting about it at the Sweaty Startup Podcast. Check out Jody Ettenberg's fantastic piece. We'll link up to it in this episode uh, regarding why your actions count in terms of how they affect downstream the vulnerable class, even if you're young and healthy and don't expect too many negative things to happen to you personally. Jody also offers advice on how to manage your days and, and how to stay sanitary. And, all, and it's a wonderful piece. Linking also to a piece called Why This Recession Will Be Different, something certainly, Ian, that jumped out at my spidey senses, you know, walking around, thinking about this thing, like looking at what's going on around us. This is just so, so different than anything we've seen before. And so I think that certainly going to make for some interesting podcast fodder and some you know, sort of business responses in the in the coming weeks. I got to give a shout out to all my people in the DC forum. Lots of sharp people in the DC. Been checking it every day. There's probably over thousand comments about the coronavirus across a wide variety of threads. And uh, that's all for this week. Stay safe out there, everybody. We'll see you next Thursday morning, eight a.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.